The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. Corporate sponsors may from time to time be the subject of buy and or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks newsletter. However, as host of Turning Hard Times into Good Times, Jay Taylor retains the right to provide objective opinions on behalf of subscribers and to his listeners audience regardless of sponsorship. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. When you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome, welcome to all of you. Very much welcome. I'm glad to have you with me. This is our very first show, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. As uh, was just stated, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I am also the editor of an investment newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, which you can learn more about at miningstocks.com. The question is, why did we start this, new, why did we start this program called Turning Hard Times into Good Times? Actually, it's quite simple. Even mainstream pundits are saying now that we are facing the worst economic decline since the Great Depression of the 1930s. And I believe it's fairly obvious that in order to solve a problem, you need to properly diagnose it. You need to understand its nature, what's causing the problem in order to solve it, in order to find a prescription that will help you defend yourself against the difficulties that are coming your way as a result of whatever problem it is that you're facing. We're facing a huge problem now in our, in our global economy and in the U.S. economy. And unfortunately, I believe that the establishment is not really telling it like it is. The establishment, and I mean the mainstream media as well as our as well as our elected officials, are not really giving it to us straight because if they did, it would mean they would have to probably confess to a lot of the problems uh, being to blame for a lot of the problems that we're now facing. And it's not natural for us human beings to really want to confess our wrongdoings and the problems that we've caused in the past. Independence... Uh, Really, that really then it means if the mainstream media and the mainstream uh, institutions are not really telling it like it is, then that really leaves it to independence. People who are not dependent on mainstream institutions for their livelihood, for example, people like newsletter writers, independent thinkers, people who don't have to depend on banks or the government for their checks, may be in a lot better position to try to outline objectively what the real causes of the problem are. 
and that's really what we're trying to do in this news in this uh, particular program every week is to help you understand what the real problems are, what the causes are, so that you can set up your investment uh, portfolio in a way that will allow you to to actually make a profit during a time when most people are losing uh, losing their shirts. A main spokesman for what I believe is at the heart of the current problems that we're facing uh, is Texas Congressman Ron Paul. He was a Republican candidate for president. He will be a guest on our show, on our third show, on April 7th. And next week we're going to have Mark Faber. He is the author of the Gloom, Boom, and Doom Report. Mark is a well-known Wall Street analyst. He's a frequent guest on all the major television networks around the world. He is a member of the prestigious Barron's Roundtable panel every year. He is indeed one of the biggest names on Wall Street and well-regarded internationally. But unlike most of his Wall Street peers, Mark is really a free market practitioner and thinker along the lines of the Austrian School of Economics. And you're going to hear a lot about Austrian economics in this program. Today's special guest is Edward G. Griffin. Edwin will help us learn how the creature from Jekyll Island, the Federal Reserve, is the main culprit behind our economic woes. By design, Ed is our first guest because he provides an understanding of the very basic institutions that are at the heart of our policies, the policies that I believe are terribly flawed and have gotten us into the mess we're in. Ed's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, lays the blame squarely on the shoulders of the Federal Reserve Bank. In a few minutes when we talk to Ed, he will tell us who's behind the Fed, that is, who owns the Fed. It isn't the federal government, as many people think. It is a private group of banking interests that own the Federal Reserve. Why was the Federal Reserve created? Ed will explain that as well, and he will tell us that the Fed has done exactly what it was intended to do. The Fed was created, according to Ed, to reallocate wealth from those who actually create it, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, common folks that work hard and play by the rules. They are, in, without knowing how and why, they are actually being fleeced, their wealth is being transferred to the bankers and to the politicians. The politicians indeed, because government is growing at the expense of the private sector, and so government jobs are secure, even though, in my view, and the view of most free market thinkers, government is really more parasitic than it is a wealth creator. The genius of Ed Griffin is that he has foreseen exactly the kind of legalized theft that we've been, that we've been reading about in the newspapers lately, Ed saw that coming years and years ago when he wrote his first edition of The Creature from Jekyll Island. Overall, the purpose of turning hard times into good times is to help us individually survive financially, and I would add spiritually, in a very, very tough economic environment that we're facing, that we've started to face, but I think we've only just begun to face. It's also to help us understand the nature of the problem the problems that our country is facing so that we can be better informed in electing representatives that hopefully can go to Washington or to our local governments and prescribe policies that can make things better, not worse. I believe the establishment doesn't understand our problems, the roots of our problems, or maybe more accurately doesn't really want to understand our problems. And why the establishment is clueless, I think, will become more apparent as we listen to what Ed Griffin has to say in a few minutes. But the bottom line is this. We have flawed economic policies that are based on theories of John Maynard Keynes and the monetarist school of economics. The only thing these policymakers know to do is to print more money and spend more to try to get ourselves out of trouble. That, I believe, is the big Keynesian lie 
What we are taught in the universities, everyone that studies economics 101, is taught that you can deficit your deficit spend your way at, way to prosperity. There's no need to ever have a recession or depression if the private sector doesn't want to spend enough. Then you just simply the government spends uh, to make up the difference. And if the government doesn't have the money, no problem. The Federal Reserve, the central bank can just print it. It can just go into debt and create money out of nothing. According to the Keynesians, there's no need to save and to avoid consumption. To the contrary, in order to create prosperity, according to them, you have to you have to spend more than you earn, and you have to go into debt, and you need to print money in order to finance all of that. Until recently, a conventional wisdom seemed to be working quite well. And when we talked to Congressman Paul on April 7th, he's going to explain to you that it was very difficult for him to make a case against Keynesian economics, although he tried repeatedly in the House Banking Committee, uh, because things seemed to work very, very well up until about 2007 or so. Think back to the 1980s and the 1990s. We had the 1987 stock market crash. I'm old enough to remember it very vividly. Yes, they put in some more regulation to try to keep the, the markets from uh, malfunctioning. But the main policy was enormous amounts of new money put into the system by Alan Greenspan at the Federal Reserve. The stock market sputtered after it collapsed and then regained its strength, and we had a new bull market, a bigger one than ever. In the early 1990s, we had the Mexican crisis. Again, lots of money pumped into the system, and that straightened out. The stock market recovered. Everything went up, up, and up. In the, in the, uh, early, in the late 1990s, we had the Asian crisis. We had the long-term capital management crisis. We had the Russian crisis. Each and every one of them, again, was met with enormous amounts of new money created by the Federal Reserve. You can see it in the money charts, the M3 numbers, exploded after each of those crises. And every time that the money was pumped into the system, the system seemed to recover, and we had a new stock market boom, and everybody was happy. We had the perceived crisis of the Y2K, the year 2000 crisis. There was fear that we would have a seize-up in the ATM machines, that there wouldn't be enough liquidity. So Mr. Greenspan flooded the markets with huge amounts of liquidity uh, prior, to, uh, prior to Y2K. This flooded the markets with enormous amounts of money, uh, and uh, again, we recovered. Then we had 9-11, the attacks on, on us in 9-11. Uh, there was a fear at that time, also uh, after the stock market crash of 2000, uh, that we were going to have some very, very significant problems um, and that we could enter, enter into a deflationary collapse similar to what Japan had experienced and what we had in the 1930s. So there was huge amounts of money pumped into the system. Ben Bernanke wrote his paper, Deflation, Making Sure It Doesn't Happen Here. The notion was we could pump as much money as needed to be pumped into the system, and indeed Mr. Greenspan did that, and that fueled the housing bubble, the housing bubble that is causing us so much trouble right now. However, people are now beginning to doubt the establishment because nothing is really working at this point in time. Since the year 2007, the stock market, if you look at the Dow Jones chart, it looks the trajectory of the chart looks very much like that of the 1930s. Actually, I would say the market has been a very poor performer since the year 2000 when the tech bubble collapsed. We had the S&P 500 actually down nearly 50% of late since the year 2000. Meantime, our model portfolio in our newsletter, 
actually doubled in value. It actually tripled in value until last year. We had a bad year last year, and I guess almost everybody did. How did we do it? How did we manage to double our portfolio since 2000 while the S&P 500 lost 50% of its value? Well, we applied some very simple but logical Austrian economic principles. And as I say, you're going to learn a lot about Austrian economics in this program over the next number of weeks. What did, they, what did we know specifically? Well, we knew that the stock market boom that was occurring after each one of these new infusions of cash, that the stock market prices were, were really phony, that the stock market was rising not because of savings and real wealth, but because money was being created out of thin air, creating these bubbles. So we had the dot-com and the telecoms, the Enrons collapsed. Biggest of all, of course, has been the housing bubble, which is causing us so much trouble. The biggest thing is that we've had debt has grown exponentially while incomes have grown in a linear fashion. And this is a recipe for disaster. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that if debt is growing exponentially and your income is not growing at all as it is not now, we're in a recession, you're going to have some real big problems coming down the road. The most important issue that we need to face now is whether or not the system is going to go into a hyperinflationary problem or a deflationary uh, problem, whether we're going to have a deflationary depression as we had in the 1930s or a hyperinflationary problem as they had in Germany before Hitler came to power. This is very, very important because it ha makes all the difference in the world as to how we're going to invest our money. If it's inflation, we're going to invest in certain kinds of items. If it's deflation, we're going to inv invest in other kinds of items. So this is really the question that we're going to address after we talk to Ed Griffin in the next in the next segment, we're going to focus on, uh, in the final segment of this show, which way we're going to head into inflation or deflation. You can learn more, of course, about all of these things by going to our website at miningstocks.com. We're going to take a break right now, but don't go away because the creature from Jekyll Island nearly has you in his grasp. Ed Griffin, author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, will explain how the Federal Reserve has got you where they want you and what you must do to escape its grasp. Stay tuned. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. 
He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Business Owners Speak fills a long-neglected niche in the national media coverage of American business. The myriad of challenges and opportunities facing small business owners and entrepreneurs are addressed at ground level in a positive, business-like manner. We face the realities of meeting payroll and being completely dependent upon the success of a business for which we alone are responsible. So loosen your tie, business owner, bring along your own experiences, and log on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Network. Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. This is the very first Turning Hard Times into Good Times show, and it is no accident that we have Ed G. Edward Griffin. He's the author of a book that I think all Americans should read. It's called The Creature from Jekyll Island. Ed's with me today. Ed, welcome. Uh, thank you, Jay. Good to be here. Uh, I believe the creature from Jekyll Island does, in fact, uh, address the very most important issue that we're trying to address in this radio show, and that is, what is the cause of our current economic malaise? Why did we get ourselves into so much trouble? Uh, and, Ed, that, quite frankly, is the reason that I'm delighted to have you on as, as our first guest in this show. Um, for those who are not familiar with Ed's work, I want to just start out right away by suggesting that they go to his website, which is uh, realityzone.com. Is that right, Ed? That's right. Um, we have so much ground to cover, Ed, and we have so little time to do it here in uh, less than a half an hour. I think that we can give maybe our listeners an introduction to what the creature from Jekyll Island is all about, but I, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to get into the kind of depth I would like to get into, but maybe sometime in the future uh, we can do that, I hope, or at least if I can just get people to read this book. You know, I tell people at all the speaking engagements that I'm that I'm involved with, I always tell people they should really read this book because it really outlines, as I said, the heart of the problem, I think, that we have in our financial markets right now. 
Ed, uh, let me just start out by mentioning that the uh, the first chapter of your book is entitled The Journey to Jekyll Island. Uh, the book starts out by talking about this clandestine gathering of a group of men who boarded a luxury train, I believe in Hoboken, New Jersey, to go to this place called Jekyll Island off the coast of Georgia, and they were pretending to go uh, duck hunting, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Could you tell our listeners who these men were and why were they pretending to go duck hunting, and what was the real purpose of their meeting? Yeah, you're quite right. It's hard to cover so much ground in so little time. Um, the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, ostensibly is about the Federal Reserve System, but uh, it's much bigger than that. It's it's about uh, the nature of money. It's about economic laws. It's about uh, the abuse of uh, the power to create a nation's money and, and how that abuse leads to corruption in government and so many things that are now descending around our heads. And uh, But it ostensibly is about the Federal Reserve System, which is the mechanism uh, by which the United States creates money on behalf of the uh, government. And uh, the meeting to which you were referring back in 1910 at Jekyll Island was the uh, seminal meeting where a small group of uh, the wealthiest people in the world are representing their firms, seven of them, went to Jekyll Island because it was uh, out of the beaten path, it was very private, and in fact they even denied for quite some time that they went to such a meeting. It was a secret meeting, and it was at that meeting that they hammered together all the important details of what was to become the Federal Reserve System three years later when it was passed into law in 1913. Now, the the reason they did this in secret and, uh, and uh, denied that they were participating is a very simple reason. The Federal Reserve was offered to the American people as an agency of the federal government. Supposedly they thought it was an agency of the federal government, and it wasn't. But it was offered to them as uh, an agency which was supposed to uh, put the reins on the very powerful banking uh, dynasties in Wall Street. Uh, the people of America were very concerned by this uh, huge power, economic power that had coalesced into the hands of a, sm of a few uh, uh, Wall Street uh, investment firms. They knew that the, the credit of the entire nation was wrapped up in a few banks and insurance companies. They were concerned about that, and they thought that the Federal Reserve System was going to put controls on those very wealthy, powerful institutions and, um, you know, and make sure that they serve the purposes of the nation rather than the private purposes of the, uh, of the corporations. And so the reason for the secrecy is that the very corporations and institutions which supposedly were to be controlled by this legislation were the ones that were drafting the legislation. They decided that, well, okay, the, the people want uh, uh, some laws now to control our industry, so we're not going to wait for enemies of our industry to write those laws. We will do it ourselves. And we'll hide that fact. We'll let the people think that it was done by their noble politicians when, in fact, we are the ones that are drafting it. And that's the reason for the secrecy. It's a very simple and an obvious uh, logical arrangement when you think about it. And the people that went there, the seven of them were Nelson Aldridge, who was uh, the Republican whip in the Senate, uh, one of the wealthiest men in the country, uh, Abraham Piat Andrew, who was Assistant Secretary of the Treasury at that time, but he was he came from a banking family, and that's the reason he was Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, because basically he had banking connections. Frank Vanderlip was there. He was President of the National City Bank of New York. 
Henry P. Davison was a senior partner of the J.P. Morgan Company. Charles D. Norton was president of J.P. Morgan's First National Bank of New York. Benjamin Strong was there. He was head of J.P. Morgan's Bankers Trust Company. And finally, Paul Warburg was there, who was a full partner in Kuhn Loban Company, which was a representative of the Rothschild banking dynasty in England and France. And, of course, his brother, Max Warburg, was the head of the Warburg Banking Consortium in Germany and the Netherlands. Those are the guys that drafted the Federal Reserve Act. And when you look at the wealth which they held individually and which their banks and institutions held, according to estimates at the time, which we pulled out of the New York Times, was that they represented about one-fourth of the wealth of the entire world. Now, that was, in other words, the very banking cartel, the industry, uh, the uh, money trust, as they called it in the newspapers those days. Mm-hmm. That was the very money trust that supposedly the uh, Federal Reserve System was supposed to control, mm-hmm. and they drafted the legislation. Well, now we jump ahead to today. W- what's the fruit of that? The reason these guys created the Federal Reserve System is so that they could use the uh, governmental power that that backed it to make sure that they would uh, enjoy a nice, handsome profit no matter whether their businesses failed or succeeded. They knew that if their their businesses were probably going to fail because they were, uh, they were uh, undergoing very unsound banking practices, they were lending money they didn't have, uh, they didn't really concern themselves too much with the ability of the person to pay or the institution or country to pay back the loans because they knew that in in the event of a crisis they could always go to the taxpayer and get the taxpayers to put up the money to cover the losses that was all started back in 1910 and you know for years people tried to tell the american people that this is what's going on and you better look out cuz uh, you know you're going to wind up picking up this huge bill and nobody was interested they said ah, i don't believe that um, and uh, anyway we're living well aren't we look at the prosperity mm-hmm. well, now here we are now in 2009 and it's finally coming down the way some of us have been predicting all these years. And now people are saying, well, what happened? Well, how did this happen? How did we let this happen? Yeah. Well, they let it happen is because they didn't care. Yeah. They didn't take an interest. Now it's, uh, it's very, very, very late. But, Ed, the reasons given to us, uh, you know, constantly by the media has always been, you know, it's for our own good. They're going to, uh, they're, they're going to, uh, manage the economy. They're going to, they're going to be able to avoid, uh, significant downturns in, in the economy by, uh, by having more liquidity, by having the, the Federal Reserve being able to, uh, to create lots of money. Um, but, you know that obviously isn't uh, isn't working out too well, is it? Well, no. That's always been the argument from the very beginning, back in 1913 when they passed the the bill. It was all to help America. It was all to help you folks, the the average person. We are doing this. The bankers are saying we bankers are doing this, and we politicians are doing this for you folks. Not all. We don't benefit, do we? Of course not. Uh, it's it's a bunch of nonsense. It's uh, it's propaganda, and it's just amazing to me that uh, the average uh, voter is uh, is so uh, politically illiterate mm-hmm. that they fall for that stuff over and over and over again. They actually believe that the government is there to help them. You know, that's well, they, they Ed, actually believe that. Well, Ed, you could say that in a way then that the uh, that the stated reasons for the Federal Reserve's creation has been a failure, perhaps, but but. Have, has the Fed, looking at it from their own through their own eyes, if you could do so, 
Have, has the Fed's real reasons for being created been a failure, do you think? Oh, it's been a, a rip-roaring success. Uh-huh. The Federal Reserve has succeeded on every one of the principles which they set out to, to, uh, to do back on Jekyll Island when they discussed the purpose of the Fed. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, it was to control the competition. They were, they were concerned over the arrival of new banks springing mm-hmm. up in the south and on the west coast of the expanding nation in those days, and they wanted to keep control in New York with the existing biggest banks. They they wanted to be able to pass on their losses to the taxpayer. They wanted to be able to create money out of nothing so as to manipulate interest rates, which would drive people to the banks to borrow money at, at uh, low interest rates rather than for people to save money and do whatever they wanted to do, expand business or take vacations or whatever they wanted to do with money. Instead of saving the money, they wanted to bring the people into the banks to borrow money because the banks make money only when others come in and borrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the banks really don't want you to pay back your loans. They want you to just keep those loans open forever like a credit card statement and just send in your interest every month. Well, Ed, as I understand, you know, as the United States was a young country in the early 1900s, it was growing very rapidly, the late 1800s. It was growing very rapidly, and there were a lot of very successful companies that were not really needing banks. They were actually growing from internally generated funds. That is, they took their profits and reinvested them so that the institutions, the the industrial companies themselves, were actually, in a sense, banking interest, and they were crowding out the, the big New York, the money center banks. It was that then part of their reason was to avoid that competition? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying, yes. They they did not want uh, private capital formation. That was almost like a dirty phrase. They spoke, how can, we, how can we circumvent private capital formation as though it was an evil thing? They wanted people coming to the banks to borrow money rather than save it. Well, we've heard this phrase recently in the mainstream media, um, privatizing profits socializing uh, losses, and I guess that's that's what they've been doing. But, Ed, when we're talking about now, we're talking about not billions of dollars. We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars and even trillions of dollars of socialized losses that the common folks are being asked to shoulder. Is that is that what's going on here? And did yeah, it, I, that it all have its origin back in 1910 then? That's right. It's It's been going on for a long time, but it's certainly accelerating right now to the point where I think the cup is going to be full. I mean, there's, there comes a point when you do have total socialized uh, government, socialized industry, socialized uh, everything, banking, health care, and so forth. Uh, you start off with 10% and then 15, 20, 30, 80, and so forth. At some point, you get to 100%. Mm. And uh, we're, I think we're very close to that, and, and these guys in Washington are, are laying out the, the roadmap to get us to that point in a very short period of time now. And when we get to 100%, I think people need to realize that not only are, uh, is the economy totally regimented by government, but people themselves are totally regimented by government. It's, and, Ed, I think that it's true that uh, socialism doesn't really create wealth. It, it is a consumer of wealth. The capitalism really creates wealth. Uh, we're going to have to take a break here in a little bit, but one of the things I want to ask you about is gold and what what role did gold play? Gold has been the enemy of of, uh, of, of sort of the fractional reserve banking system that the uh, that the Federal Reserve has espoused. So, you know, when we come back, um, uh, maybe you could address that issue a little bit, or or maybe get started on it right now for the next few seconds. Well, yeah, uh, just to get started on it, uh, gold has always been the enemy of uh, politicians and uh, bankers. Who want the ability to expand, you know, create money supply out of nothing, so mm-hmm. they can 
can collect interest on huge amounts of nothing, literally. Mm -hmm. Gold has always been a discipline which they hate. And so there's a great propaganda war to convince the American people that gold is not a good thing. You should not have a monetary system backed by gold. And they're not quite sure why, but they've heard it so many times that uh -huh. uh, they just repeat it. So I guess it would not be a gigantic uh, surprise to you then that uh, when the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, headed by Bill Murphy and uh, a couple of those uh, folks, the hard money camp, uh, really started to talk about this issue. Um, was that a surprise to you when you heard them talk about conspiracy on the part of the government and banks to to control the price of gold or at least to keep it from rising so rapidly? No, it wasn't a surprise to me. I was just mad that it took them so long to get there <laughs> because that thing has been going on. The manipulation of the uh, gold supply and the price of gold has been going on for a long, long uh -huh. time. But I'm sure glad that uh, that committee came into being because they had the expertise uh, and the knowledge of being able to figure it out and explain it. Okay, we're going to have to take a break here. Uh, we'll be right back with Ed Griffin in just a few minutes. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. From the boardroom to you. 
Voice America Business Network. Will you load 16 tons? What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now back to our program. Back again. Uh, this is Jay Taylor, your host uh, for uh, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm with Ed Griffin. And Ed, before the break, we were talking a little bit about gold. We just introduced the topic. Gold is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. It's been very kind to me. We've uh, invested in gold and gold mining shares over the last number of years, and it's uh, it's done very well. While the equity markets have fallen out of bed, gold mining has been a very gold mining and gold itself have have been very very good for our portfolios. But I would like to get back to just asking you why it is that gold is such a problem for uh, for the Federal Reserve and for those uh, for for the establishment, frankly, right now. Yes, well, there's a group of economists out there that uh, worship at the feet of uh, John Maynard Keynes, who is a well-known collectivist uh, writer and, and economic theorist uh, some decades ago. Uh, and Keynes called gold the barbaric metal. And um, Karl Marx picked up on that theme, too. He, he thought that gold was a barbaric metal. And all of the collectivists uh, agree with that because they see that the ability to expand the money supply at, at will, the ability to just create whatever amounts of money may be required for whatever your scheme is, gives tremendous power to those who hold the ability to create the money. That's pretty obvious. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. Uh, but when a money supply is based on something which limits its growth, and certainly gold would be in that category, then these guys don't have the power to just manufacture money out of nothing. Like right now, Congress and the Federal Reserve would not be able to create these hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars. They just would not be able to do it. Well, let me understand that. They don't have the ability with a gold standard to redistribute wealth from the people that create it, the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, those people that actually create wealth to themselves. Is that what you're saying? Well, yes, that's right. Uh, when, when money is backed by gold or silver or anything else of tangible value, uh, then its supply, the supply of money, always keeps pace with the growth of the goods and services within society. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good reason for that. We probably don't have time to go into all the mechanics of it, but it has always always been that way. Um, and So that the, the value of the one ounce of gold or silver... Uh, always has remained constantly has been re- remained constant throughout those periods mm-hmm. of history where money was backed by gold or silver. Uh, just to give you a, a brief uh, example, if we had lived in ancient Rome uh, in times of Caesar and we had a one ounce gold coin, we would have been able to spend it and buy a very nice uh, toga, a handcrafted belt, 
and a pair of sandals that would have cost approximately one ounce of gold. Today, thousands of years later, if we have one ounce of gold, we can uh, exchange it for Federal Reserve notes, run down to the to the clothing store before the value depreciates, yeah. and we can buy a nice suit, a handcrafted belt, and a pair of shoes. So the value, the true purchasing value of one ounce of gold really hasn't changed in thousands of years mm-hmm. because the amount of energy to produce that suit, that belt, and that pair of shoes is approximately the same amount of energy required to dig out one ounce of gold from the ground and, and purify it and put it into a coin. I can tell you, Ed, it's a very difficult task. I've been down in mines a mile under the earth, and huh? the amount of, of engineering and capital and so forth and expertise that's required to yeah. get gold from the ground is a heck of a lot harder, I think, than it is for these central bankers to create money out of thin air. Well, of course, yeah. And so the, the the politicians and the bankers who want that power to be able to create money out of nothing to accomplish their political objectives or to collect interest on the money, which they go through the motions of loaning out, that's a tremendously heady uh, power that they have. They hate the idea of having a monetary system limited by the quantity of gold or silver which people can dig out of the earth. So that's the war, and unfortunately, the uh, uh, the average American is not aware of that. Mm-hmm. He, he just thinks that, oh, isn't it nice that these the nice people, these uh, elected representatives in Washington, are are giving all this money away? Oh, and then they're going to help us, mm-hmm. and they don't realize that they're giving money away that they're taking from the people in the first place, and they don't understand how they're taking it. Well, they're taking it first of all through taxes. But that's the smaller part of the picture now with these huge amounts that they're creating. There's no way they're going to tax the American people enough to pay for all of that. So, But they're going to get it anyway, and they're going to get it through higher prices, through inflation. It won't be too much further down the line, and the average guy will be saying, how come I'm paying $35 for a loaf of bread? Right. And they're going to wonder what hit them. Ed, you know, it it has to be that way, you, you think, because there's trillions of dollars that the Obama administration is now promising to pump into the economy to bail people out or to, or for one sort of works program or another, and the Chinese don't have that kind of money. Where Where is the global savings going to come from to finance that? I guess that's the issue, isn't it? Yeah, there would be no global savings. They're going to get this from the sweat of the average worker. That's where it's all coming from and always has come from when these collectivists get hold of the political machinery and start spending more than they have. Then it starts to ricochet down, and eventually it hits to the average guy, the worker who's out there working for a living, and and, and he pays it either through taxes, direct taxes, or indirect taxes called inflation. That's the only place it ever comes from. Ed, uh, I'd like to spend just a couple of minutes. We've got about four minutes left. I'd like to spend a couple of minutes to talk about housing. I know that... You talked in your book about housing debacles in the past, about how the government has intervened in the housing market, and now we've had the biggest housing bubble that we've ever had, uh, and it's pulling down the whole economy, obviously, as, as you know, millions of homes cannot be financed. People don't have the wherewithal to, to fan, finance them. Would you care to just comment a little bit on the current housing situation, and does this thing have a lot further to go before we see the bottom of it? Well, that second question is is one that I wouldn't touch uh, with a 20-foot pole because uh, I don't know how much further it has to go. Uh But I can say in general that the housing market was greatly uh, inflated or bubbled, as they say. And what that means is that uh, 
the number of dollars that were being spent for a piece of real estate were way out of proportion of its uh, underlying value when measured against other things. Mm -hmm. And the reason that came about is because of manipulation of the credit markets, the ability of the Federal Reserve and some of the other agencies which were politically supported to redistribute uh, credit unnaturally into certain favored areas. And the home market was one of the favored areas. They made mortgage rates ridiculously low. And that lured people... Uh, it's like luring a fish to grab a, a worm, not realizing that there was a hook underneath the worm. <laughs> it lured people to snap at those great interest rates, and they said, well, I can afford that monthly payment, and they moved upgraded in their housing, and first thing you know, they're living in semi-palaces, and they think, this is wonderful, not realizing that they had already been hooked for the contraction which was destined to come because everything eventually seeks its own level. And uh, so what we're seeing now is a, a return to realistic values. Um, and all the bubble is being squeezed out of it or all the water is being squeezed out of the sponge or however, whatever mm -hmm. analogy you want to use. What the point will be when it finally is at the realistic level, I don't know. But I suspect it has a little more to go before it really is uh, realistically compared to other things that people can buy with that same dollar. There's going to be a, quite a bit of pain, then, you suspect, for the, for the economy, for, for most people in general. Well, I think so. I, I believe so. Uh, and I almost hope so, not because I want the pain, but because if we don't have the pain, there will be no change. Uh, if we don't have the pain, the, the present policies will continue, and I know what lies at the end of that road. The end of that road will be a completely totalitarian system mm -hmm. where you and I will not only have anything, uh, any money to buy things with, but we'll also have no freedom to do anything with anything we bought in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's and where it's headed, and that worries me even more than the economic crisis. That's the worst thing, as Ron Paul has has said. If we have our freedom, we can recover. But if we lose our freedom, it's very, very difficult to recover economically. Exactly. Ed, have you got some ideas about what people should be doing, either for themselves or to try to help uh, steer the country back in the right direction? Well, the reason I formed Freedom Force International is because I wanted to deal with that very question. I don't think anything is going to change, uh, Jay, until we change the uh, thinking mm -hmm. of the people who go to Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Right now, most of those guys are on the gravy train, and they're thinking about collectivism. They're thinking about power. They're thinking about, you know, feathering their own nests. We need some real Americans in there that think about the nation first who understand the basics of economics and uh, money and uh, who have an ideology that is not uh, uh, the same as communism or socialism or Nazism. Yeah. I mean, what we have been following in our own government of late is so close to those ideologies that we have dreaded and fought against in the mm -hmm. past, and we're adopting the very principles here at home. We need people in Washington that are going to take a return to the principles of liberty and freedom and individual worth that we used to have in this country. If we can do that, then we can dig out of any kind of a mess that comes along. But if we continue down the path that we're going, then I don't think we're going to dig out. And that's the reason we created Freedom Force International 
is for people who want to help in that reversal process to come on board and uh, work together with us. Excellent, Ed. We're, we're running out of time here, so I would like to tell people that they should go to realityzone.com. Is that where they can learn more well, about realityzone.com is the commercial site where you can mm-hmm. uh, buy all of these books and videos mm-hmm. and things. But the place for Freedom Force is called freedomforceinternational.org. Excellent, Ed. I'm, I'm so glad you could be with us for our very first show. Folks, please don't go away. I'm, I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'll be back after the station break with some ideas about how you can protect your wealth in these turbulent times. Stay tuned. it's up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. When you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Again, I'm your host, Jay Taylor. You can learn more about me and my newsletter by going to webeatthestreet.com. Our uh, program, Turning Hard Times into Good Times, is not only about understanding the nature of our problems, our economic problems right now and their their origins, but it's also about trying to find some solutions, some ways that we can defend ourselves against the ravages of, of inflation or deflation, the economic uncertainties and tribulations that are coming our way. 
Uh, and that's really what the most important part of this program is about, is finding, helping you to find ways that you can profit and at least uh, hold on to the wealth that you've worked so hard to accumulate over the years. The last few minutes of our program will be geared towards doing that. And I mentioned in the first segment of this program that the most important issue that I have to think about day in and day out is whether or not our system is heading towards a deflationary depression or a hyperinflationary depression. Unfortunately, I believe we're going to have a depression either way. There's no easy way out. And the reason for that is because we have taken on so much debt. The debt has been piled on top of debt as I mentioned earlier in the first segment of this program, every time there was a problem, Mr. Greenspan pumped enormous amounts of money into the economy. And when you have a fiat currency system, a paper money system, unlike a gold-backed system, debt is the, debt is the raw material from which that money system is created. Debt man, is what uh, money is manufactured with in a, in a uh, fiat currency system. But the question of whether or not we hyperinflate or whether we go into a deflationary depression is extremely important from an investment perspective because it has everything to do with what kind of instruments we invest in. If we go into a deflationary depression, there's really not much other than gold and money that really works uh, for you very well. And so in a hyperinflationary depression, however, uh, we're going to want to own more stuff we're going to want to actually take on some debt, perhaps. Uh, I'm not advising you do that now because it's very difficult to be able to predict which way this thing is going to turn. But clearly, in an inflationary environment, it pays to borrow money and pay it back in cheaper dollars and buy tangible items that will retain their value rather than holding on to the paper money itself. At present, our inflation-deflation index, which I watch every day and report on every weekend to our subscribers, is suggesting that the deflationary side of the equation is still heavier. That is, that the dangers of moving into a deflationary depression are greater than into an inflationary depression. Because of that, we are weighted heavily towards gold mining shares. In fact, gold mining shares comprise about 63% of our portfolio. And we have another 9% in gold and silver bullion. So our total portfolio is about 72% in gold and precious metals uh, and gold and precious metal stocks. We also have the Prudent Bear Fund, uh, which allocates about 13% of our portfolio because we do believe that we are in a secular bear market and that we are going to see another very devastating decline in the equity markets. Our view of the equity markets now is that uh, we are in a, uh, a bull market or let's say a a bear market rally that could be very substantial. It could take us up to over 10,000 on the Dow. We think that we probably have just started that, notwithstanding today's 110-point decline on the Dow. But we believe that we are going to have, most likely over the next several weeks, if not several months, a very major bear market rally that will allow us to become liquid to sell certain assets that we really want to get out of and to try to get our portfolios much more liquid. But we do believe there's going to be another major shoe to drop. And if that is true, uh, we want to hang on. Uh, more than likely, we're going to continue to be looking at a deflationary, uh, deflationary um, pressures in the economy, and we're going to want to stick with our model portfolio as it is now, although we are seeing some signs that we could have a turnaround and we could start to, to see some inflationary pressures. If our uh, inflation-deflation watch suggests we're heading towards inflation, 
then we'll start to weight our portfolio more towards some of the inflation plays, and that means energy and uranium uh, stocks, base metal stocks, that sort of thing. Basically, we do not believe that's going to happen. We do not believe the policies being espoused by the uh, Obama administration are going to work in the economy because we see so far the money really going to bail out the banks and the bankers for the most part. Uh, we do not see money getting into the hands of the masses, and really that's what we think has to happen in order for the economy to pick up, for thing, people to start buying things. But people are really uh, losing their jobs. They're seeing their pays in, uh, their paychecks decreasing if they can find work at all, and their credit cards are tapped out. Perhaps the biggest danger of all, the bankers are pulling back their credit lines in a very, very meaningful way, uh, in a very major way. So we see the demand from the from the average worker and from the average person is remaining extremely weak. Well, those are my views on the economy. Next week, we're going to introduce some very interesting guests, Lena uh, Monasoridis. Excuse me, I really butchered Lena's name. Lena Monasoridis. She's a money manager from Athens, Greece, who's a very exciting person. I've talked to her yesterday on the phone. She's going to provide a European perspective. You can check out Lena and her work at... Um, spikecharts.com. Roger Wiegan, uh, who is an associate of mine and publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, author of What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling, will also be on WeBeat, uh, will also be on our show from time to time. You can check all of these people out at WeBeatTheStreet.com. Be sure to come back next week. We're going to have Mark Faber uh, on the show. Mark is a world-renowned uh, analyst, and we'll have some very exciting things to tell you about the market. Um, and be sure to tell your friends about our show. We'll be back next week at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, Voice America, the business channel. Uh, it was very good to have you. Thank you very much for being with me. And until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.